Hi, this is the podcast channel of Lighthouse Church in Ottawa, Canada. We are a family. We don't do life alone. We are about the one, each and every one. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our hope and prayer is always for life change. Here is today's message. Be blessed as you listen. Let's be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18 this morning to start. We're going to use the Amplified Version for our kickoff text this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 18. Before we read, put your hand on your heart. If this word, this word, it's going to bless me. It's going to bless me. It's going to change my life. It's going to bring deliverance and liberty to me. In the name of Jesus, my spirit is open. My spirit is open in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read. It says, run away. (laughs) Run away from sexual immorality in any form, whether thought or behavior, whether visual or written. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the one who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. I'll read that again so that those people in South Africa can hear me. Run away from sexual immorality in any form, whether thought or behavior, whether visual or written. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the one who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. I dabble in pharmaceuticals, right, in pharmaceutical industry. I, I'm a full-time pastor, I tell people, and I'm a supply chain hobbyist. So my day job is that I work in supply chain in the pharmaceutical industry. So technically, I'm a drug dealer, but not, you know, not the kind of drugs that you think, but technically, I just have to make sure that drugs are available for people to sell. I do deal in pharmaceuticals. And one of the things about pharmaceutical, the pharmaceutical industry is that, of course, as you know, we make prescription medication, we make over-the-counter medication, things like, you know, th- things like Tylenol, Advil, and all the things that you can go to the pharmacy and pick up without a prescription. And then there's also a bunch of other things that, you know, companies in the medical device or the pharmaceutical or the life sciences space make, like contact lens, surgical implants, and a bunch of other things, all right? But I'm interested in the prescription medication part, okay, for my conversation today. When you think about prescription medication, Obviously, the reason why they exist is to fix a problem. So there are different areas of therapy, all right? If someone has pain, if someone has, you know, you know, I don't know, uh, renal disease, someone has heart disease, there are different areas of therapy that medication or th- these drugs are being produced for. The fact is, before a drug can ever be produced, it takes years to go into research and development to make sure that the drug can actually do what it is that we're trying to fix, right? And so, as you see drugs that are prescribed to people across in you know, different pharmacies, you go see a doctor, they write you a prescription, you go to the pharmacy and you pick up your prescription, it's because someone somewhere sat down, thought about one particular area of suffering that people are facing, and tried to come up with a solution. People are still looking for a cure for cancer today, all right? There are different, different kinds of treatments that people go through, but I don't think that there's been a proven cure for cancer. I don't know. Maybe the medical doctors in the house can help me. All right, and so we have different areas of therapy. And in one particular area of therapy, which is pain, all right, we and people in pharmaceutical industry have come up with all kinds of different pain, pain relieving medication. You can get some over the counter, you go to Shoppers Drug Mart, you can pick up Advil or Tylenol when you have some pain. But when you have real pain, 
when you have next level kind of pain, you cannot find um, um, what, what would help your situation over the counter, you need a prescription. And so there's a class of pain medication called opioids, okay? Opioids or narcotics, right? And a company, a company actually makes a couple of narcotics. And these drugs, are, they, they, they're good and they're helpful with extreme pain. So when people are, you know, cancer patients and maybe end-of-life patients and you're trying to reduce the suffering and someone passes on, they give them these extremely potent painkillers, all right, um, oxycodone, bicodin. Um, there are a ton of them that are out there right now, you know, and different for different areas. You have an epidemic, believe it or not, there is an epidemic in Canada today on opioids. There's an opioid crisis in the nation of Canada where people are dying by the numbers. Thousands of people die every year because of opioid use and overdose and abuse of opioids. So this is a, this is a known thing. And this is not just in Canada, by the way. But the thing about this, and I'm what I'm trying to get at, you know, why I said all that to say this, that you have drugs that were made, that were produced, that were well-intentioned, all right, but because of the abuse of the drug, it's become bad. You have thousands of people die. Now, these things, if you take out the opioids, you know, from treating pain, a lot of people are going to suffer. These drugs make people's lives much better when they're sick or when they go to, you know, different illnesses. But now, the misuse or the abuse of the same drug has become a bad thing. So what was made to help and solve problems very quickly has become bad. Why? Because of our inability to stay within the boundaries, within the limits, or the prescriptions of use not just drugs, but also sex. And so when I say sex is good, some of you are like, of course, Pastor, we all know sex is good. Well, <laughs> understand that the Bible says that everything that God made was good. And God is the one who did the research and development around sex. He's the one who invented it. It was his idea. Adam did not tell God, God, you know what? I feel like you should make sex so that, you know, it, my life can be much better. God, it was God's idea from the beginning. And everything that God made was good. And so we're talking today about sex is good, porn is bad. And let me just stay on that first part for a little bit, all right? Because what happens with most things, even food, is that it's good. But it's only good to the limits or to the extent to which you use it within the prescribed limits. And so when someone takes a narcotic drug, it has to be for the right reasons. They have to be in excruciating pain. It has to be the right dosage. If they tell you take two pills and you take four pills, then that becomes bad. It has to be the right patient, the right age. You can't give it to kids, for example. So there are boundaries to all these things that are good, but outside of the, the lines or the boundaries that have been drawn for you, they become very bad. Actually, they become toxic. They become dangerous. And so thousands of people die annually in the U.S., in Canada, because of the opioid crisis, because we have been we are unable to stay within the limits and the confines of use. Why is it used? All right. Who uses it and how is it used? So sex is good because God made it. It was God's idea. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, the last verse of the chapter, the Bible says that every good, I mean, that everything that God made, God saw that it was very good. God saw that it was very good. In James, the Bible says that every good and perfect gift, I believe this is James 1 and 17, comes from God, from the Father of lights. Everything that God gives is good. The blessings of the Lord make rich and adds no sorrow. In God, there is no iniquity, the Bible says. Everything that God made was good. But when you, when you venture, when you explore, and I know we're naturally curious and we have a problem with instructions, 
When you venture outside the boundaries that God had set, then it becomes very bad. Think about the Garden of Eden, right? It was good. This place was paradise. They had everything that they ever wanted. And God said, there's only one boundary, one limit. It says, there's this tree do not touch. The moment you touch this tree, not touch, do not eat from this fruit. The moment you eat of the fruit of this tree, very quickly, Eden, which was a blessing, becomes a curse. It becomes bad. And that's exactly what happened. So sex is good. Sex is good. But, but there is a limit. There are boundaries to which you, know, you can use it. Now, let, let me say this about this. When God thought about sex, this is what God thought about. He thought about sex between one man and one woman for the rest of your life. I know that some of you are like, ew, that's so boring. You need deliverance, all right? <laughs> God's idea, this is the prescription now. I'm telling you what the instructions for use or the directions for use for this thing called sex by the R&D person, the person who invented it. He said it's between one man, one woman for the rest of your lives. For the rest of your lives. It's, it was made in the context of a marriage, all right? between husband and wife. And that is why, stay with me, that is why every benefit that sex offers is within the context of marriage. Whenever sex is used outside of that context, whenever it's used outside of those boundaries, whenever we, whenever we explore and run across those boundaries, what happens very quickly is that sex becomes bad. It becomes bad. Not just bad because God doesn't like it, but bad in terms of the consequences that it has upon a person, upon our lives and all that. All right? It was made within the context of man, woman, husband, and wife forever. So everything, the benefits of sex, for example, one of the benefits of sex is that sex is the highest level of intimacy you can ever have with a person. All right? It's the highest level of intimacy that you can ever have with a person. Now think about that. Why would you want to have, just think about it for a second, because I know sometimes you don't think about it. Why would you want to have that level of intimacy with someone who has not committed to you for the rest of your life? Why would you want to take something that has such power and cheapen it? All right, it's the highest form of intimacy that can exist between two individuals ever, because sex involves spirit, soul, and body. I'll come to that in a second. Of course, like I said, within the context of marriage. That's why that benefit is there. It's meant to bind you together. Sex bonds people, okay, inseparably. It yokes people to, together. And a lot of times, after people have been together sexually, separation would cause damage. All right, I heard someone say that when you put, when you glue two pieces of wood together, if you forcefully separate the pieces of wood, you might succeed in separating them, but you would find that one piece, piece of one, you know, pieces or parts of one piece stay on the other piece and vice versa. You cannot have a clean separation after sex. And that's why we have a lot of baggage that we carry with us. A lot of us carry this baggage into our marriage. A lot of us carry this baggage, you know, into our lives. Things that we never had to deal with now become a problem because we bonded ourselves, we yoked ourselves, we joined ourselves to people casually. All right? We call it casual sex. Casually. Understand now that there's a thing that three dates, when you go on three dates with someone, that equals sex. So technically, when you go on the first date, the guy takes you maybe to a restaurant. The second date, maybe you guys go to the movies or a farm. You go apple picking or something because that's the kind of stuff I do now. And then on the third date, it is automatically assumed that that equals sex. Can you imagine you've known someone for, I don't know how many weeks it takes you to get to three dates. I assume that the, at the pace of life that we, well, of course, COVID days are kind of weird. But pre-COVID, that's probably like three weeks. And then you're jumping in the bed with a person and you're bonding yourself inseparably with this person. All right? 
the context is marriage. So bonding yourself inseparably with, with, you know, within the context of marriage is a good thing. Outside the context of marriage, it's a very bad thing, right? You can imagine. Of course, also another benefit is procreation. You don't want to be having no baby daddies and baby mama drama, right? So you shouldn't want any of those benefits outside of marriage. And so when God said that it's man, one man, one wife, for the rest of your life, God knew exactly what he was doing. But, you know, think about this, right? Just give you an analogy of, you know how you buy a device? Let's assume you buy, I don't know, you buy an iPad or something. This is an iPad. And you read the manual because everyone does that, right? <laughs> everyone reads the manual. And some of the things that they tell you is that, you know, the warranty on this product, for example, is void if you use it outside of the limits, all right, of the prescribed users, obviously. So if you go and take your iPad and use your iPad to shovel snow and you go to the, <laughs> you call Apple Care, they're going to curse you out. That's the day you're going to realize that Apple Care can be very rude and disrespectful on the phone because they're going to ask you, you, you say, excuse me, uh, I have a problem with my iPad. It's just flashing lights. It's not working very well. And they're going to be, oh, we're so sorry. You have that problem. Oh, we're terribly sorry. Can we um, just ask for more information? So what, what has happened in the past one week? Well, yesterday night, I used it to shovel snow. <laughs> right there, you're going to hear the ghetto jump out of the person and say, you, you is not normal, right? Something is wrong with you because you've used it outside of the prescribed boundaries. You need to stay within the boundaries for the warranty on a product to be relevant. You right? take it to the Genius Bar. The guys at the Genius Bar are going to order an IQ test for you. Like, why are you doing this? That's not how it's meant to be used. So I wonder how many of us have voided the warranty on sex. I wonder how many of us would eventually find that uh, sexual lives, when we actually are married and we can do it legitimately without guilt and shame, that our sexual lives are kind of deformed because we have abused the product, okay? We've used it in the wrong context. And some of the things that sex is meant to guarantee us, like intimacy and bonding people in marriage, it doesn't do that anymore because you've, bond you've, you've broken the warranty, all right? You've broken the warranty. I want to make a couple of statements to you, and I want you to listen to me, please. Listen to me with your spirit, because this is important. With your spirit, okay? With your spirit. Sex is one of the most important things that God ever made. Say it again. Sex is one of the most important things that God ever made. Why? God's mandate was be fruitful, multiply. Genesis 1.28. So he made us for, to be fruitful. He made us so that we could multiply. He made us so that we can have, you know, we can replenish the earth, then subdue and have dominion. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue, dominion. Five things. Three out of five, you cannot do without sex. There's no way to be fruitful without sex. There's no way to multiply without sex. There's no way to replenish the earth without sex. And you cannot subdue and have dominion if you haven't done the first three. So sex is actually one of the most important things that, that God made because without sex, the mandate of God upon humanity would never, would never find expression. It is one of the most important things. It's also one of the most important things that God made because sex bonds the family unit together. So when you have a couple that are married, one of the things that sex is actually meant to do, one of the things that it's meant to help do, it's, it's meant to make husband and wife yoked together. It's meant to join them together. It's meant to keep them united. And so when you see people who are married, there's a certain level of unity that comes from the fact that they're sexually united as well. That's, that's, what it, that's one of the prescriptions of sex, all right? And so when you have strong families, you have strong societies. But today, I wonder why our society is so messed up. It's because, of course, apart from the fact that there's an opiate crisis, I really believe that there's also a sex crisis. There's a, there's a pandemic, a global pandemic, all right? I actually struggled on calling, you know, whether to call this title, there's the global pandemic of porn and sex, because I really believe in my heart that this is a global pandemic. I believe that society is degrading. 
because a lot, a lot of us have been damaged, our souls have been damaged from a young age, exposed to pornography, started having sex at 12, 13, and your life, you know, now you get married, you know, marriages obviously don't last, they break up, people in child support, people in jail, and all that stuff just spirals into society. The context, okay, is always within marriage. Sex is one of the most important things that God made because sex bonds the family together. There is no glue quite like sex. The second statement I want to make, like I said, listen with your spirit, is this. Sex is also one of the most powerful things that God made. So sex is one of the most important things that God made. It's also one of the most powerful, the most potent things that God made. Listen, it's a sincere mystery to me. Okay, what gives sex its potency? Um, there is, just like when you when you take um, a, a drug and it works like magic, you're like, oh, wow. But you don't know what makes it work. You just know it works. It's one of the most powerful things that God ever made. It's a dangerous weapon because of how powerful it is. But the concern, of course, that we have and that you also should have is that a lot of people are now brandishing that weapon, that powerful weapon, with reckless abandon. We're just going about it like it's normal, like it's it's okay. You lay down with one person and it's fine. And then the next year it's a different person and it's fine. But it's not fine. There's damage that's done. And I'll get to that in a second. There's damage that's done. It's one of the most powerful things that God made because it involves spirit, soul, and body. There is no other human connection, none, not one, that involves spirit, soul, and body. You can be connected to somebody um, you know, mentally, you have an emotional connection to a person, maybe a friend of yours, and you have a that's a soul that's a soul connection. But you don't have a body connection. You're not sleeping with the person. There's no intertwining of bodies, right? You don't even have a spiritual connection. Okay, you can have a relationship with your pastor, so you have a spiritual relationship. There's a spiritual connection there. But in some cases, maybe a soulish one, but definitely not a physical one, right? Sex is the only thing that connects you with a person in all the states of a, of a person, in the physical state, in the soulish realm, and also in the spiritual realm. There is a connection. There is a joining that happens, and that's what makes it so powerful. It's also very powerful because sex is a covenant. Now, this is crucial. Let me tell you. Okay, let, 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 me, let me ask you a question, okay? Uh, and I want to see your response in the chat section. You meet a guy, or you meet a babe, and you guys start talking. You're chatting up. You're feeling this person. You know, they have a right sense of humor. They get it. You get them and all that stuff. And the person says, well, you know what? I have an idea. Let's get some knives or some blades. Let's cut ourselves, right, our thumb or something. And then you cut your thumb. I cut my thumb. And then let's mingle our blood together, all right, and, and, and whatnot. Now, I want you to tell me in the chat section, how many of you are going to do that? Uh, I'm waiting. I don't think anyone will. I don't think anyone in their right mind will. They'll be like, I like you, but you got the devil, and I've got to go. But guess what? What you do when you have sex with someone is the exact same thing. It is a covenant. It is a blood covenant when you have sex with someone. So when you're trying, when you have, when you have those moments of weakness, and you're like, oh, God understands. Let that picture I just painted for you just show up in front of you, that this, what I'm about to do, is the equivalent, or it's, it's, it's equal to just freaking ourselves, mingling our blood together, some dark Harry Potter type stuff, and so you want no part of it, you will be quick to realize that you can stop yourself 
that you don't have to go for because sex is a covenant. And listen to Well, if you're a Christian, you assume that, well, I didn't get into any covenant with you. I just wanted to have sex. Well, listen to me. Ignorance, there's a legal doctrine, by the way, that says that ignorance of the law is not, a, is not an excuse. Ignorance of the law will never be an excuse. Ignorance of the laws of God will never be an excuse. All right, you don't understand, for example, you don't know how gravity works. None of us is, well, maybe some of you are physicists, but most of us are not physicists. But guess what? The law applies to all of us. Whether you're a physicist or not, if you walk off a building, you're coming down, and you're going to be like, oh, I don't understand. Why am I coming down? Whether you know it or don't know it, sex is a covenant. Ignorance of the law <laughs> is never going to be an excuse. So when you start thinking about sex as something casual, something you do for stress relief, when you, something you do because you, you love your, your boo or your bae, understand that are you really, are you really sure that you've counted the cost? Of what you're signing up for. Are you sure that you want to do this? Are you sure you want to do this? Ignorance. You know, I remember many years ago, this must have been 2000 and um, I want to say 2004, thereabout. I was driving from Atlanta, Georgia to DC, all right, middle of the night. You know, me and a friend of mine, I was driving. We had a rental. It was a Hyundai Santa Fe, brand new Hyundai Santa Fe. So the car was, you know, really tempting me. And um, I, I think I've repented. Back in the day, I move at the speed of light. So I was, I was firing on. I just left the borders of Georgia. I think I just entered into South Carolina, and I was moving fast at night. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, all right, I see some blue and, <laughs> blue and red lights behind me. You can imagine who that is. The popo pulled me over. And so he pulls me over. I, you know, I pull over to the side of the, of the highway and, and whatnot. And this guy comes over to me. He, he knocks on the window. He's like, um... I wind down, you know, roll down my glass, and he's like, sir, may I ask why you were going so fast? He had this southern accent. I can never, you know, you know mimic that accent. Um, sir, may I ask why you, why you were going so fast? I was like, um, actually, what had happened was, <laughs> I, you know, I didn't know I was going that fast. That was my excuse. I was lying, clearly, lying to my excuse. I didn't know I was going that fast. And actually, I didn't even know. I'm from, I told him I'm from D.C. I didn't know what the speed limit in South Carolina was. Just dumb excuses. So the guy says, that's okay. Just give me a second. Okay, I'll be right back. <laughs> the guy goes to his car. <laughs> he writes me a fantastic ticket and says, now you know, <laughs> right? Ignorance of the law is not an excuse for your ridiculous behavior. Let's just say I drove this under the speed limit all the way home. I was, I was vexed to my spirit. And my soul, I, and guess what? All the way home, I saw no other cop. So I was like, "Oh man, this guy just messed up my entire drive." Anyways, the guy gave me a ticket, my first ticket ever. I never forget it in my life. Um, ignorance will never be an excuse. Sex is a covenant. Please help me tell someone it is a covenant. The same way you run away from someone who says, "Let's mingle our blood together," is the same way you should run. So when Paul says, <laughs> "Run away from sexual immorality," He knows exactly what he is saying. Sex is one of the most powerful things that God made. It is a covenant. And the Bible says that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, Hosea 4, 6. So because you don't know does not mean that the consequences will not affect you. Because you did not know does not mean that there are no consequences. All right, there are consequences. Now I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. Lean into this one because this is important as well. Along the same lines of how powerful sex is, the person that will have the greatest influence in your life <laughs> is the person that you're having sex with. Before you jump out of your seat and say, oh, pastor, you lie, you lie. Just hold on. I'll get to you in a second. I'm coming for you. Don't worry. 
the person who would have the greatest influence on your life, not on in your life, is the person you're having sex with. <laughs> That's one of the reasons why you must not marry a bad person. Okay, marry a bad person, you ha- you stand no chance. You you will you will you will understand very quickly the power of sex. So let me explain something to you. The Bible says that when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, brought them through the wilderness. One of the things that God said to them, amongst a lot of other things, was this, that you must never, never mingle with the children of the Canaanites, all right, sexually. Don't join organs with them, all right? Do not. God says do not. And the reason why God said that was because, not because they shouldn't have sex, so to speak. Yeah, that's a problem. But God was clear that the reason why was because those people will draw their hearts away from God. Hmm. You find this in Deuteronomy chapter 7, okay? God said, you shall not intermarry. You shall not give your daughters to them. You shall not give your sons to them. For they will, they will, they will draw your hearts away from God after other gods. And I'm wondering, how is this possible? How do you tell me, God, that I witnessed 10 plagues in Egypt. I saw the terrible things that you're able, able to do. I saw your power, your raw power. I literally saw you come down and draw us and save us out of Egypt. I saw you drown Pharaoh and his host. I saw them floating upon the Red Sea. I saw water come out of a rock. I saw strange things, terrible things in righteousness. The hand of God. I've seen all these things, these great things that many of us, by the way, you and I, in our lifetime, will probably never see 10% of what the children of Israel saw. And God is saying to them that all that is going to count for nothing. You would be surprised how quickly your conviction changes when you join yourselves to these people, they will draw your heart after other gods, and you will go after other gods. Listen, I said this before, and I'm going to remind you. When God speaks authoritatively about humanity, about you and I, about mankind, he's not hypothesizing. He's not just you know, drawing some kind of intelligent guess. He is God. And guess what happened? When they started to have sex with Canaanite women, and the men, what happened was that Israel went into idolatry. Just as God had predicted, God is right 100% of the time. This is exactly what happened to Solomon. I'm going to read to you Solomon's story for a second so I can expand on this before I go forward. The Bible says this about Solomon, that now, this is First Kings chapter 11 from verse 1 to 10, NLT. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Shout out to Dozier, wherever he is. He said he was like Solomon in his mind. A savage. This guy loved many foreign women. He didn't like local women. He liked international babes. You know what I'm saying? Besides Pharaoh's daughter, so he had Egyptian women. He married from Moab. He married from Ammon. He married from Edom. He married from Sidon. And from the Hittites. Now, these are, these are, these are pagan lands, okay? Canaanites. Remember Moab was the guy who, the king of Moab was the guy that brought Balaam to come and curse Israel. They were diabolic people. They mingled with other gods. Now, Solomon, who was the son of David, Solomon, who built the temple of God, Solomon, who had encounters with God that changed his life forever. This is the Solomon we're talking about here, by the way. 
He couldn't deal with his lost issues, so he joined himself to all these people. And the Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, saying, you must not marry them. Why? Why? Because they will turn your heart to their God. Solomon, should there have been one person to say, God, I can never turn away from you. You appeared to me at Gibeon. You gave me wisdom. I have seen, I have seen you. I have seen your glory in the temple when we dedicated the temple. Never. I've seen how you were with my father. God said, because they will turn your hearts to their gods. The Bible says, yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. I wonder who you insist on loving that you should not be loving. But I'll leave that alone today, okay? He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. All his wives were royals. He collected 700 wives. I don't even know where he found 700 women who were royals. And in fact, and in fact, and in fact, and in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. Oh my goodness. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord of his of Lord God of his father. And he says Solomon worshipped. Now listen to this. Solomon worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. And on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he even, even built a pagan shrine. This is the guy who built a temple for God. Now he's building pagan shrines. He built a pagan shrine for Chemosh, whatever that is, the detestable god of Moab, and another for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Solomon built such shrines for all his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. The Lord was very angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Twice. God had appeared to Solomon twice. How many times has God appeared to you? And yet, because he joined himself to these people, was having sex with them, he deviated. I'm telling you this right now. Listen to me. If you're having sex with someone, you've given that person tremendous power over your life. If the person you're having sex with wants you to do something, you will do it. Don't say the fire of the Holy Spirit is in me. I, I can resist. You, you can only resist when you are on proper standing. You cannot, you cannot resist in the, on the bed of immorality. If the person you're having sex with wants you to, <laughs> to bow down to other gods, you will. You can say whatever you want to say. God was proven right. Because Solomon was more spiritual than you are, and he did. The person you're having sex with wants you to smoke weed, you will smoke weed. And I just spoke to someone's heart just now, because they remember the first time they ever did weed or anything was because they were with some boyfriend of theirs, and in their life, they're from a decent family. No one in your family, you can never imagine that would have been you, but today that's you, because you are sleeping with someone. When you sleep with a person, you join spirit, soul, and body. There is tremendous power that you place in the hand of a person. So why would you want to give such power to a joker or a girl or some guy who has not covenanted with you to be with you till death do you part? Why would you do that? Why would you just see some bloke somewhere and say, oh, he cute, he got six pack. 
and you join yourself, and then all of a sudden, this person draws you away from God. You are so spiritual. This person doesn't go to church, then you stop coming to church. This person, you know, does drugs, then you start doing drugs. This person has all kinds of crazy habits, and you find yourself following in those habits because you cannot help yourself. Because if you sleep with someone, you're giving them tremendous power. Sex is one of the most powerful things that God has ever made. Be guided. Be guided. It's not casual. As a matter of fact, there is nothing casual about sex. It's a lie of the enemy when we say it's just casual. It's not casual. And so when God advises you, it's not really an advice. The children of Israel, they could do nothing to stop themselves from going into idolatry because they had joined themselves sexually to these people. They couldn't help themselves. All right. When people start, when people get married, one of the things that, you know, a lot of times people, your family would say something like, well, it's your husband that changed you. You never used to be like this. If you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's your wife that changed you. You never used to be like this. You might have thought that they were wrong, but they're right. Because you would naturally gravitate. You would start to change to become like the person. So be careful. Be guided. Don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. If the children of Israel could walk away from God and bow down to, to other gods, if Solomon could do that, I think everyone is vulnerable. There is enormous power you place in the hands of a person that you have sex with. Enormous power. You never, ever ever want to give someone such power over your life. It, it makes no sense. It's, it's irresponsible at best. Like I said, I'm giving you information today. I know you're going to have questions and we're going to ha you know, have enough time to answer questions and talk about practical tips next week. Let me talk to you about this concept of abuse, drug abuse, which we talked about. Let me extend that analogy a little bit. When you abuse drugs, when you abuse a substance, all right, one of the things that happens, one of the many things that happens is that that drug loses its potency in your life. And so when you started out, maybe you need to take one pill, you you know, any of these opiates, you get a bit high, you get this feel-good feeling. As you continue to do that, your body adapts, all right? And so one pill can't do it anymore. And so to get the same level of high that you got from one pill, you would now need two pills. And after a while, you will need three to get the same level of high. After a while, you will need four. And that's what eventually leads to overdose, by the way. It's because you get to a point where to get the same level of high, it's a little, you know, a little dose that you need. And so a lot of people do end up overdosing. So the efficacy of a drug becomes weakened when you abuse it. I said that to say this. That's one of the reasons why a lot of people go into marriage and the potency of sex has been weakened. The bonding effect that it's meant to have. Imagine that, you know, you've never had sex before with anyone in your life, both of you. You guys get married and then you start to sleep together. You start to be together as you should as husband and wife. There is such a strong bond because you've never abused sex before. But when you've, when you've casualized, there's no such word, I don't know if there's such a word, but just allow me, okay? <laughs> Valentine's Day, be, be kind to me. When you've casualized sex, as it were, all right, when you get into marriage, sex no longer has the same yoking effect that it was meant to have. It, you still find people who are married, sleeping together, but they're not, they're not united. They speak different languages because they've come with baggage. They've abused the drug and the potency has been lost. And so when you say it's casual, I'm not harming anybody. Think about what you're doing, you know, in terms of your future as well. It reduces the efficacy of the bonding effect of sex in your marriage. And so you find people are married and the unification process takes much longer, much longer. In the mind of God, the moment you have sex one the first time, it's like the both of you become one. Now you start talking about the process of becoming one. Whereas in God's original context, it was meant to be immediate, instant. But now you're like, we have been married for 12 years. We're, just, we're still on this journey. You know, we're still trying to figure out ourselves. We're still trying to become one. <laughs> Listen, the reason why is because you've abused the drug in the past. Most people 
don't understand this. The Holy Spirit started to teach me a lot of things over the past month about this topic. It blew my mind. A lot of problems we have and we carry into marriages is because of our sexual history. And we don't know it. Because some people think that, oh, you only have a problem with your sexual history when you're having sex in your dreams. No. There is baggage that abuse has done to you. The baggage that it has done to you. And one of the major drivers of sexual sin and sexual immorality, this pandemic, global pandemic, as far as I'm concerned, of sex and you know, immorality and perversion is pornography. And so let me talk about pornography for a minute here. Pornography. <laughs> I remember my first exposure to porn. It's about to get very awkward. All right. So thank you. Thank, thank God that you guys are all at home. We don't have to sit in the sanctuary. Look at each other's faces. So just be at home. Just pretend like you just, just look. And if you have someone sitting beside, just look straight at the screen because it's about to get real. I think I was about 12. Remember, I was like 12 years old. And this is probably how most people get exposed to porn. There's one, some part of this story will relate to you because not many people you know, at a young age, say, I'm going out to look for pornography. No, you stumble on it. And then you find out that the stumbling <laughs> has addicted you, has held you bound. And you stumble again, and you stumble again, and then now pornography starts to stumble into you because you're actively searching. I was like 12 years old. I remember that day, a couple of friends of mine, and by the way, my parents are very strict. My parents were fantastic parents, all right? And <laughs> okay, I'll get to that in a bit. Very strict, fantastic parents and whatnot. I had a handful of friends. My parents knew all my friends. So I wasn't one of those people that went to parties. I wasn't one of those that had sleepovers. I've never had a sleepover in my life. I still don't sleep over, all right, um, anywhere. It's just the way we were brought up. We sleep at home. That's what we did. And my friends came over one day, you know, one afternoon. It was during a summer holiday. And they happened to bring this. It was a VCR. Believe it or not, this is a, this is a real life stuff. VCR, I think I brought this thing. One of my friends brought it. I was like, oh, um, I got this from, you know, someone else. Apparently, a girl had given it, a girl that we all knew had given it to him. I'm like, oh, okay, let's watch. We had a VCR at home at that point. So we played it, and it was French porn, French. They didn't even speak a word of English. And I remember going, what? What am I looking at? Because I was, I was quite naive. Like, I, was, I had no exposure, right? And I'm like, no, 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 this makes no sense. I know I liked what I was looking at, but right after that, there was this deep sense of shame and guilt that came upon me. But then guess what? Sin grows in the dark, right? That was my very first exposure to that. And, and for them, obviously, they've been exposed to it. They were 12, and they've been exposed to it before me. Um, all my friends were older than I was. And, I mean, I am. I, they've always been anyways. And so I was like, okay. But guess what? My, something in my soul was damaged that day. Of course, that was not the end of the journey, you can imagine. Thankfully, I was able to break off that habit after I met the Lord and all that. But that's how a lot of people get exposed. You stumble onto something. You're scrolling through your phone, and you see something. And you browse a little bit and you, you click through two or three more times and you find yourself in places that you should not be. And it becomes something else. But I want you to understand that Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18 that I read. I'll read it again, but now you understand it better. He says, run away from sexual immorality. Then he goes on to say, in any form, it means that there are forms. Then he says, whether thoughts. So some of you, your mind are you 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 you're celibate as we learned last week no one is touching you you're not touching anybody but your mind is completely filthy says that that's sexual immorality or behavior so the things you actually do actions you take so you actually have sex with someone kissing in the parking lot all that crazy stuff all that stuff falls under behavior then visual pornography what you watch what you see what you see and written ladies Ladies like to read their own pornography. They say, I'm just reading a novel, but that novel is extremely explicit. You know that there is written pornography. So Paul is saying that sexual immorality has many forms. It's not until 
you throw off your clothes and you guys are doing anything physically that it classifies, it says that if there's anything that impacts your purity, anything that impacts your thought process, that takes you away and takes you into a dark place, anything you cannot do in public, he says can classify your thoughts, your behavior, your visual, what you see and what is written as well. So there are four buckets of immorality. Let me tell you some things about pornography because I did a, a lot of research, all right? Even while I was in the research, I started to feel like I'm a pervert just because I was reading a lot of background research, psychological research on stuff like that on pornography. Listen to this. 47%, 47, that's one in two, you know, of families in the United States, of course, as in Canada are twins, as far as I'm concerned, reported that pornography is a problem in their home. So one in two homes have an issue that has to do with pornography, okay? Pornography use increases marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. So when you engage in pornography, man or woman, single or married, because some of you are like, well, I'm married, I don't have to do pornography. Listen, I'm coming for all of us today, all right? There is a very significant chance that you will cheat. It's a heightened possibility of cheating when you have a history with pornography, all right? It says this, 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to porn. 11, 11. Some of us were exposed much younger. Some of you were like eight. Some of you were like seven. I've been pastoring now for three, going on four years, and I've spoken to people who were exposed to pornography before the age of seven. All right? So, 11. And 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. You might just call it 100%. By the age of 14, 56% of American divorces include one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. 56, that's more than half. Now, listen to this, because this comes home. 68% of church-going men, 68%, that's 7 out of 10, of church-going men view porn on a regular basis. That's saying this. Like I said, thank God you're home. That's 7 out of the 10 guys watching me live right now view porn on a regular basis, not, not one-off, not once in a month, on a regular basis. Seven out of ten. Oh, guess what? Over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. So when I say something is a global pandemic, it spares no one. I really mean it. Oh, guess what? Of young Christian adults, of which we have many in our church, between the ages of 18 and 24, of which we have many in our church, that's like the top of our bell curve right there, 76% actively search for porn. 76%. Actively search for porn. Ladies, I thought you were like, uh, Adrian, talk to us. I'm going to talk to you in a second. Only 13% of self-identified Christian women, 13, say that they never watch porn. Only 13 say that they never. Not to say that they're free, the other, you know, the, the, the balance, okay, not to say that the 87% are frequent users, but it's saying that they use it to some degree. 87% of Christian women have watched porn. Statistically, 55% of married men and 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. Listen to me. If I was the Prime Minister of Canada, if I was a, a leader of a country, I will declare that porn is a pandemic at the very least, an epidemic, because of the far-reaching implications, because of the damage it does to society and it does to people. It has an addictive nature. 
it's been said also that when research has been conducted that the brain of a habitual porn user and an alcoholic have similarities because it's the same pleasure centers of the brain. It's the same stream that is being that is being engaged, all right? There's a release of dopamine, and dopamine is like, I want more of it and 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 more and increased quantities and increased dimensions of it until you can't recognize who you are. And for some of you right now, when you're engaged in your porn habit and you're done, you look in the mirror and you're like, who are you? You cannot recognize who you are because it did not start that way. It started gradually and it's escalated. And it's even worse because now every device you know, back in the day when I was growing up, like I said, this had to be a VCR. Like, can you imagine finding a VCR? But now, every single device you have is a gateway, is an access point to pornography. There is no censorship. It's there. You just have to click a couple times and you're going to find something. Some of the lies about porn that we tell ourselves is that it's not a sin. Lies. <laughs> lies, lies, lies. That It's not a sin. Of course it's a sin. Paul said that. Sexual immorality is not just about what you touch or what you do. It's also about what you see, what you see. And the enemy is able to convince us of just anything because a lot of times we're looking for justification. I like how Stephanie was saying last week, that, and that's how a lot of Christians are. We are looking for a way out. And so we, we go to God and we try to box God into a corner. Like, where does it really say in the Bible that pornography is a sin? Clearly, the word pornography never appears in the Bible. Right? And then we say, well, God never said it in the Bible, so it's not a sin. But seriously, though, if it's not a sin, why do you feel convicted after you do it? Why does the Holy Spirit within you feel grieved? Why, why, why does he rail against that act? Because it's a sin, obviously. And remember that whole conversation about the journey of celibacy versus a heart of, of purity? Purity. It's not a sin. It is a sin. Another lie we tell ourselves about pornography, it's harmless. Lies. <laughs> the lies we tell, it's harmless. This is, a, this is a climate now of consent. Well, no one cares what two consenting adults do or what if you're a consenting adult and you want to have sex on camera and you want to watch, then who cares? It's harmless. I actually tell you this, that porn is harmful to everybody involved in the value chain of porn. From the porn stars to the director, everyone involved is harmed by porn. A lot of the porn stars are on drugs. A lot of them are victims of sex, tra um, sex, sex trafficking. All right? A lot of them have STDs. It harms everyone. It harms you. It harms you. It is extremely harmful to you, single and married. Do you know that sex, I mean, that porn can create soul ties? Because a lot of times you think that, oh, soul ties only happen when you sleep with someone. I learned now from my research that porn can actually create soul ties. Can we be real? Can we be real? That's why, that's why most times you're searching for a particular porn star because there's an, there's an affinity you have. There is... There has been some kind of a unification process in your soul with this particular porn star. Porn creates soul ties as well. That's why sometimes after you finish watching porn, you feel depressed. Because a lot of people, actually statistically, porn stars have one of the highest suicide rates in the world. All right? Because a lot of them are depressed and they're usually on drugs. And so you transfer that energy on yourself. And you can't even... Un and, and the thing is, it's a vicious cycle. Because you feel depressed and you feel like, okay, well, I need to do something to take my mind off this. And you go back into the habit. And then you have that moment of a high and you come back down and you're like, I'm depressed again. And so it becomes this thing that keeps you trapped. It's harmful to everyone involved. You get fixated on a particular porn star. 
because a soul tie has been created. And that's why many of you right now, you maybe the last time you even worked one was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, your mind, all you need is a second for your mind to travel to that place and remember some of the things you've seen back then. And it's still so strong. It's still so potent. It has the same pull as it did the first day you saw it. It's full. Porn would affect your intimacy. Listen to me. When you get married, porn will affect your intimacy. It will. Because, <laughs> let, me, let, let me say this. You've exposed yourself to certain things, all right? Please keep your children out of the room. It's about to get real now. And then for you as a person, now you're married, to achieve an orgasm, it doesn't work anymore. Your husband or your wife just doesn't do it for you. Why? Because there are places in your mind you need to travel to to achieve a certain level of, of pleasure because you've been exposed. Your soul craves something that you don't have. And so you see people get married and they're distant and husband and wife cannot connect. And they're like, oh, my husband, he doesn't do, my wife doesn't do it well. The reason why is not anything but the fact that you have attached your soul to something else that you're trying to replicate. And it cannot replicate. It cannot be replicated because that person, that thing is in your soul. It would affect your intimacy when you get married. I'm telling you this, guys, women, your mind will travel to that place every time. Otherwise, it becomes a problem for you to connect. Shame, the guilt, the condemnation, the depression. Let's not even talk about all that stuff. Another lie we tell ourselves, I'm doing it to learn for my future spouse. Lies, lies, lies. I'm doing it to learn for my future spouse or for my current spouse. The lies we tell. Did they ask you? Did, <laughs> they, did they, who asked you for that? You're not helping them. You're hurting them. You're harming the person. I assure you, you're harming the person. Did she ask you? Or oh, ladies, um, I want to please my man. I want to know what to do. Did he ask you to do that? And if he did, then something is wrong with him too. You're hurting him. It actually separates you. It doesn't bind you. It doesn't bring you closer. It builds a thicker wall between the both of you. And so you have Christian women God-fearing women who are married today, God-fearing men who are married today, but come with a baggage of the past. And then you know that even sometimes your mind still travels to those places. If you haven't gotten control, you're not even saying you're not even engaging anymore, but you still live with some of the aftermath, the effect of that. It's dangerous. Church folks, seven out of ten. Pastors, one in two. So there is a battle to be fought here. You cannot take it lightly. You cannot assume that it's just going to go away. You cannot assume that I'm just doing this. It's just something I do as a pastime. No, the consequences will live with us for a very long time. There's a transfer of spirits from what you watch. There's a transfer of spirits from what you hear. If you go where you're not supposed to go on the internet, you visit something, you will see what you're not meant to see. You will do what you're not meant to do. You will end up becoming what you never intended to become, and you end up destroying what you intended to build. The first thing is don't even go to begin with. So Paul says to us, run. You know, I remember a lady came to me. This was in Hamilton, Ontario. She's a very anointed lady, young girl. Hand of God was in her life. You could tell, like, the hand of God is on this one's life. It's strange. But she was having, you know, struggling with pornography and masturbation. I said, I need help. And immediately, you know, I said, this is a demonic issue. Prayed for her right there, cast out this devil. And she messaged me years later and said that that was the last day it ever happened. So it can also be a spiritual issue. Don't take it lightly. Don't take it lightly. So if you have a stash, I don't think anyone keeps a stash these days. Delete those websites. Block those websites. Have accountability in your life. 
expose it. If you're struggling, you'll be either with pornography or the aftermath of pornography. Expose it. Don't hide it. Speak freely about it with people you trust, with your spouse if you're married, with your, you know, people who you have, who you can be accountable to and who can hold you accountable. Do not, sin grows in the dark. Do not hide it. Paul says, run away. Flee sexual sin. Run away from it. Why? To please God. To please the Lord. I mean, I think that's a good enough reason. But also for your own good. A lot of times, actually, you know what? When God says, don't do something, the reason why God would ask us not to do certain things is because, for our, because of our own good. God is more mindful of you harming and hurting yourself because he knows how much hurt it will bring to you than your disobedience to him. Yes, God wants to be obeyed. He's a king, obviously. But a lot of times, what actually grieves the heart of the Lord, I sense that it's the, the harm that we cause ourselves. Just like a father, if you see your child and you tell them, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and you're going to get hurt, and you see them do it, it grieves you, not so much that they disobeyed you first. Your first grievance is that, oh, my dear child, you're going to get hurt. Happens to my kids all the time. I say, don't play. You know, my, my younger one likes to sit on the couch, the, the, the back of the couch. And, you know, don't play there. You know, you can fall down. You can fall down. And he's there. And you're, you're grieved because you just can't see in the next two seconds he's going to be on the floor. <laughs> all the time it happens. So that's how God is. He's not grieved that you've disobeyed him so much. He is, but more so that you've hurt yourself. So he's displeased not only because you disobeyed him, but because you have harmed yourself. Many of us have harmed ourselves. Many of us have damaged in our souls. Some of us have, we have injuries, cuts, and bruises in our souls that need to be fixed. We're dealing with issues that, you know, in some cases, like I said, for some of us, we stumbled on it. Someone just mistakenly exposed us to it. For some of us, it was abuse that started the journey. Most times, it's one of two. Not many people are just curious and say, I want to go watch naked people have sex. No, that sounds very, like a lot of perversion when I say it that way, but that's what it is, right? As a matter of fact, you who's watching the people who are having sex, and the people who are having sex, I think you're, we're all on the same level of perversion, right? It makes no sense. But you become who you don't want to become. You look at yourself in the mirror, you cannot recognize who you become. The good news is this, and I close now with a prayer. Keep your questions for next week. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, 13 and 14, in the King James Version, he says that, Neither yield ye, do not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. In other words, as a child of God, whenever you do something that's considered sinful as a child of God, it's because you yielded yourself to it. It's not because you had no choice. It's because you yielded yourself. In other words, you allowed it to happen. You allowed it to happen. That's what he's saying. He says, do not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but do what? Yield yourselves instead to God. So it's about who you yield to, to God, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments, members means your body parts, as instruments of righteousness unto God. It says that this is important for sin, 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 shall not have dominion over you. Sin shall not have dominion over you. If you're a child of God, you're giving your heart to Jesus, this is your reality. Sin doesn't have dominion over you. For someone who is not a child of God, yes, sin has dominion over them. There is nowhere in them that they can muster up the control or the resistance against sin because they just don't have it. But for you and I, he says that if it ever happens, 
Whenever you go on that website, whenever you, you know, find yourself knocking boats, knocking boats, who says that, as it were, it's because you yielded to it. Not because it was too strong, not because the sin overpowered you. You yielded. So stop yielding. Stop yielding to sin. My prayer for all of us, all of us, all of us, is that sin will not have dominion over you. Sin will not make you become something that you were never meant to be in the name of Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.